The beautiful vivid colors of fall are not created, they are revealed. Most of the time, we are green leaves. We go about our daily routines, striving for survival. We spend our days and often our nights coping, coping with work, with children, with parents, with all the responsibilities that consume our lives, trying to fit in some quality time here and there with our loved ones, and maybe, if we're lucky, with ourselves. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark, big or small, is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways that we can age with vibrance and energy. And Zestful Aging Podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful ager. Our lovely music is courtesy of Judy Banker, who was a previous guest on Zestful Aging. Find out more about her at judybanker.com. And to find out more about the podcast, my web courses, and other offerings and goodies, you can hop on over to zestfulaging.com. I know that everyone is feeling really stressed and anxious right now. We're all unsettled and feel out of control. So I created a free download for you for maintaining mental health based on my 30 years as a psychotherapist. Um, Just go to zestfulaging.com and it is all yours. Well, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side. He's wet from a nice little swim in the creek. So let's begin. We have a great interview for you today. I've been really looking forward to speaking with Rebecca Wynn. One of the major themes of the Zestful Aging podcast is resilience. And when you get to middle age, life has most likely dealt you some blows. We've Mm -hmm. all felt them. But it's how we relate to our grief and sorrow that will really determine how aging will go for us. Will we be left with bitterness and regret, or will we forge ahead accepting and healing with hard-earned wisdom? Today's guest is a highly awarded landscape designer. Her garden has been featured on HGTV, and she's written a magnificent new memoir, 100 daffodils about her marriage breakup and past traumas and how she transforms her pain into new growth. Welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you. And I know you keep hearing this and I hate to sort of bore you with these accolades. Oh, (laughs) no, it's really quite all right. It's quite all right. Bring it in. What a gorgeous piece of writing. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And I've already shared with you, um, and my audience knows that I'm a psychotherapist. I Mm -hmm. have already recommended this to so many of my clients because so many women that I see are these talented, lovely, beautiful people who don't even realize it. Yes, it is sort of the theme of our generation, I think. We were just um, a little late (laughs) for all the empowerment from parenting. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that we, at least I and many of my friends, gave to our children. So, um, yeah, I I didn't get a lot of that. But... um, Talk about, right, will you talk about, yeah, talk about the experience of, I I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you have a real love for your, your plants and a a deep, just a connection with these plants and appreciation for the individuality of them, how they grow, what they do, how they bloom. How, how does this mesh with your experience of a woman finding her voice? Ooh, what a good question. Um, so 
I I am um, very tuned into nature, and I I always uh, or, or often feel the need to sort of clarify that because I'm really not a um, sort of hiking and you know camping a kind of nature girl. I'm a gardens kind of nature girl. I mean I do love the woods. Um, mm-hmm. But I also like my creature comforts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, gardens and nature for me are uh, are an easy entry point into a contemplative place, and um, I I think that it is part of my makeup to be uh, to pay attention. I, I think mindfulness came very naturally to me and um, as an artist because I really do primarily consider myself an artist uh, I actually have had never once when people would say what do you do I had never once said I was a writer until the book came out oh wow, wow. <laughs> yeah. there's yeah. the proof yeah, I really kind of struggled with that identity. But you know what? I struggled with the identity of an artist, too, at first, which is interesting since I actually have a degree in that. But um, but I but I am very visual. And so that um, that observation of the the tiny uh, nuances and differences in shading and texture and size and pattern and um and 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 patterns of growth all of those things are very present for me and so one of the things that i really hope that people will take away from this book and and that i've observed that they are is is more of a connection into what surrounds them Okay. Somebody sent me uh, a photograph of a spider web that had been built between a shrub and her fence. And um, she sent it to me and she said, you know, for the last 65 years, I would have just swept that away. And now I notice it and I don't see it as uh, a mess or something that doesn't belong there. I see it as some beautiful creation. And Oh my gosh, it makes me so happy. <laughs> but, you know, and she said because of your book, you know. So, um, yeah. It reminds so. me of when you told the story of the rat mom mm. moving her babies, and there was this like, wait a minute, this is a rat. Right. But that you had this appreciation for, wow, she's going to drown. Or her babies will drown. Right. Yeah, that was really a very powerful moment. And you may recall that it comes right after the piece uh, Vibra about the rat snake. Yes. (laughs) And, and, you know, I I sort of laugh at myself and say, you know, one minute I'm thinking, where's the rat snake when you need it? (laughs) And then... then, Who you wanted to... uh, You had some thoughts that might need to be... um, uh, removed yeah you in know, a permanent kind of way yeah so it was uh, it was really powerful for me um, to have that shift in perspective so I think your first question um, which I sort of wandered a little bit away from uh, with my answer I'm gonna circle back around to because that experience with the rat mama and and my experience of nature, the way that that ties back into my relationships and how I view my relationships and my uh, connections with people is that depth of observation. So with the rat, I had the initial reaction that pretty much everybody has, Mm -hmm. rat, equals bad (laughs) rat equals I want you gone Mm -hmm. Um, and then I observed what was going on and could see more depth of experience for her she became more of a life form a living creature with babies and 
fear and uh, and a and a passion to to rescue her her tiny little brand newborn babies, and my it's like you. It sounds like you identify. Yeah, you identified well, with her in some experience way. Experience of her just broadened as more of a life form. So I think that that's something that we can do not only in our specific direct relationships, but even in relationships broadly, countries, you know, uh, with each other, people who disagree on global issues. Uh, I think what we do is we tend to reduce them down to a a microcosm of their expanse and their greatness. And, and if we can expand the way we are willing to view them, then Compassion can hardly help, but but, uh, but unfold for us. How much has Jungian psychology influenced your writing? Well, a lot, uh, actually. I the spiritual path that I uh, found and have been on is one that that is uh, not. A specific religion it's a sort of global acceptance of global spiritual practices so uh, you know I would say that a fundamental tenet is that there are as many paths to the divine as there are people seeking the divine and there's also within that a, um, a marriage really of science and spirituality and psychology and spirituality and so i actually discovered again i'd kind of discovered him a little bit in college but rediscovered carl jung's work uh through my spiritual community which is kind of interesting um and then i did a deep dive into that so the work of james hollis dr james hollis who's a very renowned Jungian um, psychologist who's written a lot and um, oh he's such an amazing renaissance man with just the most beautiful command of language and uh, he was actually a literature professor in his early career and then came uh, went to Switzerland to the uh, original Jung Institute in midlife Uh, but anyway it was his work that really took me um, into the Jungian world and so I'm a member of the the Jungian society locally and actually there's a Jungian therapist I'm actually speaking to them in August which is not at all intimidating um, <laughs> but the uh, the Jungian analyst who is going to be interviewing me um, sent me an email the other day and she said, I just want you to know I have a hardback and the audio of your book for myself. I bought another copy of your book uh, to put keep in my office to loan uh, patients when I can start seeing them in person again. And I have sent 10 copies to <laughs> colleagues. Yeah. So, wow, um, what an honor. Yeah, um, it is because I'm not going to lie. I was a little... Uh, uh, nervous about bringing that aspect to my writing because I don't have a PhD in psychology and I don't, uh, you know, I am not a union analyst, but I have done extensive study and, and participate in that group on a regular basis. And so it was very validating um, to to have her, uh, you know, say all of that. So um, it's oh, been a big, wow. big, big part of me because I think that the degree to which we are willing to notice our projections, begin to understand how we project, and to become familiar with our shadow, both our dark shadow and our light shadow, which I think is something that you uh, alluded to early at the beginning of the broadcast uh, about or maybe it was before you were on air, but um, but all these amazing women that are our contemporaries who um, don't know their brilliance yet. And so that's that light shadow 
where we project our own uh, greatness onto others who are actually doing it because we are held back by fear or lack of self-confidence or whatever it is that's held us back. Mm-hmm. So um, it's been a big, big, big part for me. And uh, I'm so grateful for that because I also feel that the degree to which we can recognize our own shadow aspects, both the light and the dark, but mostly the dark in this particular instance, mm-hmm. um, again, expands our capacity for compassion um, for others. So I don't know if you can hear that or not, but my cats are having their morning zoomy. <laughs> they're, they're running back and forth. They do it twice a day. So if you just uh-huh. hear the thundering. And my dog just barked. So we got, we got all the animal friends. Yes, the thundering of tiny paws. <laughs> Hello, Zesties. I want to tell you about one of my all-time favorite exercise and stress reduction tools, which I am really relying on during this quarantine, but I've sung its praises for years. The benefits are seemingly endless. Uh, It's great for toning and strengthening muscles. It improves your lymph system, your metabolism. It helps with joint pain and balance, and it's even used by NASA astronauts because it's such an efficient way to exercise. And if you're older or you're worried about your balance, you can order a stabilizer bar to hang on to. I'm talking about my NEDAC Rebounder mini trampoline. I put on my music and I have my own dance party. Because for me, exercise needs to be fun and invigorating. Otherwise, I don't want to do it. Now is not the time for the philosophy of no pain, no gain, because we're in enough pain. This is a way to feel good and energized and have fun. It really does help mood as well. And I like that NEDAC is made in the USA and it is really solid. I've had mine for 15 years and it's still in great shape. The NEDAC Rebounder will help us get through this quarantine in better shape mentally and physically. And there's also a model that folds up if space is an issue. One of my clients puts it on her driveway and uses it while she's watching her kids during the quarantine. Anyway, I can't recommend NEDAC Rebounders enough. They are a worthwhile investment in your health and overwhelm overall well-being, especially now. If you are interested in a mini trampoline, please don't buy a cheap one. Those can be actually dangerous, and it is really worth uh, investing in a good quality one. And right now, if you use the coupon code just for Zestful Aging listeners, the code is Zestful, they are going to include a free cover for you. So go to NEDAC.com. It's N-E-E-D-A-K.com. And if you have any questions, you can contact me at ZestfulAging.com. I really am their biggest fan. So, um, the shadow aspects, Mm -hmm. when you go out in your garden, Mm. how do you understand the garden in these terms, sort of the light and the shadow? And tell me what that's like. How how do you make meaning of your garden? What's the experience like? I don't want, I'm not trying to get really, you know, sort of difficult, but your experience sounds very intense Mm -hmm. and um, there's such a connection. There's such wonder. There's such awe. I'm just curious when you walk outside, I know you go out early often and bring think you bring a coffee or your tea Mm -hmm. what does it feel like well I think that one of the things that that I love about time alone in nature um, is the opportunity to observe the changing of light 
and shadow in the garden. And so there are many aspects of that that are, you know, some of which are more aesthetic and uh, some of which are more profound. But um, from an aesthetic standpoint, um, it it reveals as as the light changes, uh, it reveals the changing nature of color and texture and form and even relationship to where we are um, in in the space, right? So as the light changes, things can look nearer or far, they're more clear or they're less clear. They're different shades of green or whatever color they are depending on the light. And um, and so that being a meaning making a person, um, you know, that also echoes us, right? I mean, as our circumstances change, as the degree to which there is light or a lack of it in our lives at the time, we are, we are different people. We, we are, uh, we're very complex and complicated and there are many aspects to, uh, all of us. And those show up differently depending on how, what's going on in our lives, you know, mm-hmm. so that, that piece, Bright White Nights, that's actually one of my favorite pieces in the book, because, and it's talking about that exactly, right? It's going out on these rare nights where there's an enormous amount of diffused light, and yet it is very dark, and so everything that you are so familiar with completely changes and just becomes form and uh yeah so anyway did i answer your question yeah yeah (laughs) and uh, we had talked about you reading to us Mm, yes Is, is that are you still willing to do that i'm happy to do that do you have a preference well Let's see. There's so many good choices. What do you? What's your favorite passage? Ooh. <laughs> um, mm, that's a tough one. It is. Um, so I will tell you that um, something that a, a lot of people are relating to pretty intensely right now is the the end of I Am Autumn. Um, because it feels very relevant to um, the sort of global pandemic mm-hmm. um, environment that we find ourselves in, although obviously I had no knowledge of that when I wrote this. Mm-hmm. So sure. does that Let's, sound good that to sounds, you? sounds great. Okay. Um, so just the setup is um, the piece is called I Am Autumn. And the setup is that um, the colors that we see in fall foliage, people talk about uh, the trees turning colors in the fall, but the actual uh, science is that the green that we see in those leaves in the spring and the summer is produced because there's chlorophyll coursing through those leaves. And as the temperatures cool and the light, sunlight is reduced as fall approaches, um, the chlorophyll begins to draw back from the plant. So the colors of fall are not created, they're revealed. Uh-huh. Those are the natural colors of the leaves. So that's the setup. So. Very, Um, and it's very relevant, I think, with aging as well. Yes, indeed. Okay, so I'm going to start with the last line of this paragraph, which is actually what I just said. Um, The beautiful, vivid colors of fall are not created, they are revealed. Most of the time, we are green leaves. We go about our daily routines, striving for survival. We spend our days and often our nights coping, 
coping with work, with children, with parents, with all the responsibilities that consume our lives, trying to fit in some quality time here and there with our loved ones, and maybe, if we're lucky, with ourselves. We are bright, shiny, busy green leaves, doing what we must to ensure our survival until one day a crisis hits and it's impossible to continue with business as usual. In those moments, we are stripped of our ability to hide behind our busyness and are forced to be fully present with this new reality and find within ourselves the internal fortitude that previously lay dormant. Our lovely green facade disintegrates and all those pressing goals and demands that have consumed our time and attention day in and day out diminish and sometimes completely disappear. In moments of personal cataclysm, something wiser, more resilient, more courageous wakes within us, bringing with it the necessary strength to confront our greatest challenges, no matter how harsh. In those moments, we become autumn, authentic, unmasked, raw, real, powerful, and beautiful. When crisis strips away our masks and guides us inside to our authentic selves, the beauty it reveals can be staggering. When we are unmasked, we are vibrant, we are radiant. When we are wholly ourselves, it is holy. Seasons change and so do I. And right now, I am autumn. Mm. How how was it for you in terms of your own healing to actually write these pieces? I mean, I know you experienced them. I know you've reflected on them. Did you find the writing of these pieces also healing? Yes. Um, I actually, I don't know if you know this or not, but the book actually didn't start out as a book. It started out as journal entries. I see. And a friend of mine said, nobody writes in their journal like that. <laughs> I'd have to agree with that. <laughs> and yet, I Am Autumn was one of the journal entries. It totally was. Wow. Yeah. So, um, I... So it was specifically a part of my healing, you know, as journaling oh, is. Wow. And when it became a book, and that's, um, you know, kind of a long sort of funny story, um, but, but when it began to form as a collection that would be put in a book, um, it was not until then that I began to write these with that intention. So both of the pieces in the prologue, The Spiderweb and Form and Formlessness, those were journal entries. Wow. Um, I Am Autumn, uh, the, the, the Itsy Bitsy Spider, which I wish had a cooler name. <laughs> Um, but that one about the finding the spider in the log that I'm about to throw on the, on the fire. Right, right. Yeah, that was a journal entry. I mean, I literally sat down and it dropped into me the, the, the sort of lesson, the realization in that one about how, how often we hold on cling like our life depends on it to something not realizing that what our life really depends on is letting go like right. that spider wouldn't let go of the log it was trying to protect itself and I was like dude you know <laughs> you have no idea how much worse it almost was for you and and I and I sat down by the fire watching that log burn and wrote that so so it was huge for me as a um 
as a part of my healing, a uh, huge. And then when it became a book, oh man, <laughs> that became a whole other lesson. <laughs> and uh, and the, and what is it like to have yourself just splayed open? I mean, mm. you do not sugarcoat the experience of being in deep grief. Yeah, girl, that's because I didn't think anybody else was going to be reading it. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Yeah. I mean, like, you are, you could not be more self-revealing. Oh, wow. Thank you. Well, I will actually tell you kind of a side story about that, which is that Um, when I submitted the first draft to my editor, who is, um, just an absolutely amazing, amazing human, um, and, and a big deal, she's the editor in chief of the hardback division of Grand Central, which is, you know, big five, um, publishing house. Um, she was, they use this program called uh, track changes, which is terrible, awful. Oh my goodness. It's Mm. so difficult, (laughs) but there is a way to put notes on the side. And most of her notes were like, wow, this is so wise. And oh my gosh, I never thought of it like that. And you know, super positive. Mm. But every once in a while she'd say, "Mm, you know, not my favorite that consider removing. Well, as I read through all of her notes, I observed (laughs) that everywhere that she said, "Mm, I don't know about this, Mm. was where I wrote myself like you just described, where I wrote myself is not really all that likable, not very enlightened, Uh. you know, kind of bitter and angry. And so I called her and I said, Hey, you know, I couldn't help but notice that the only places that you kind of seem to have, you know, notes that were anything other than just, you know, lovely, um, were places where I, I wrote myself in a not very, you know, positive way. Yeah. And I said, did you do that on purpose? And she said, Oh, did I do that? I had no idea. And then she said, I would have to look back over it. But then she said, well, I think that maybe what happened is by the time you got to that part, I had so fallen in love with you that I felt protective about you. And I said, and I love you for saying that. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not willing to take those out because this is... This is the truth of transformation. It is messy and it is hard and it is gut wrenching and it takes courage. And to in any way smooth the apparent edges of that would be to not tell the truth. And the truth is there are no five steps to any form of healing. There just aren't. And um, as I describe it in the book, you know, it's a one step forward, two steps back, right off the edge of a cliff process. Mm -hmm. And then you crawl your way back up and and try again. It's it's not, you know, it's like that kind of crying that's not graceful. No. It's, you know, on your knees, fetal position, just racking with yeah. Yeah. So, and you know what? She's, she is such a brilliant and um, wonderful, amazing editor. And she absolutely saw the truth of what I was saying. And every single bit of that stayed in. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one particularly um, catty line that I had in there about Anaconda that I personally removed. She didn't, um, <laughs> she didn't ask me to, Um it was a great line, though. <laughs> it, it was mean and uh, and kind of a low blow, but boy, it was poetic. <laughs> but I took it out because, um, and mo- actually, the reason I took it out was because it was in the plain truth, which is the one you might recall about my um, my sort of chaotic struggle with the the acceptance of my age because of the age difference with Glenn and Mm -hmm. um, 
And it was in that piece. And everything else in that piece is really very um, kind of beautiful. And so as great as that line was, if, you know, <laughs> if you like that kind of thing, which, you know, we all do if we're honest. <laughs> That's right. um, so just it didn't to clarify, belong there. Anaconda is, uh, how would you describe her? Uh, I, I don't want to use the wrong word, but she was a woman. She was the other woman. <laughs> partner was involved with. Yes. Yeah, she was the other woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely. And do you know if your ex-husband or Glenn has read your book? I do not know if my ex-husband has. Um, he did ask to read it in advance. And I said, sure. Um, and then I said, but let me just ask my publisher. And they said, oh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. I, I, it was legally vetted as all, uh, you know, big release memoirs that have living people in them are, you know, they've got lawyers that do nothing but check for liability in what you've written. And, um, and I spoke with the attorney who had vetted my book when my, uh, husband, my ex-husband asked if he could read it. And she said, so here's the thing. I have vetted so many memoirs. And she said, I have never read one where the author was as kind to her ex as you were about yours that being said he's not gonna like it Mm -hmm. so there's no point in you know letting him see it in advance so there was that um glenn has i know he has he he listened to the audiobook he also has a hardback and um and he he loved it actually he 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 said he loved having my voice fill his house um oh. he said thank you for immortalizing us in such a beautiful way um and he said it was really difficult to relive um you know the experiences of his behavior um at that time and um you know he's grown a lot as I have, maybe not quite as much, but, um, but he, he actually loved it. Wow. Yeah. So I, I'm amazed by that. And yet, um, I'm sure you feel like, you know, him a little bit. It's not wholly surprising, is it? You know, I mean, he, it's that part of him that I fell in love with, right? Mm -hmm. The part of him that, um, who was only young chronologically he's he's very much an old soul so mm-hmm. mm. have you been able to really allow yourself to deeply absorb the success and the the reaction to this this memoir no (laughs) um it's been it's been a really interesting journey for me because it is surreal um it really really is it's i i have talked to my friends you know when you get to our stage in life we're typically accustomed to operating in our sort of sphere of excellence, right? We, we know what we're doing (laughs) and, and we're probably pretty good at it by now. And with the writing of this book, because I've never taken a writing class, I've never even taken a writing workshop in my life. And, um, writing this book, I was catapulted out of my sphere of excellence and into my sphere of knowing nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And it's very destabilizing to be in a place where you, where the stakes are extraordinarily high and you don't even know enough to ask good questions. (laughs) Yeah. So it was, um, it was, (laughs) <laughs> You're a babe in the woods. I was, and 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 you know, I kind of laugh and say I went 
full Howard Hughes during the writing of this book. I mean, I just descended <laughs> into creative, you know, oh. obscurity and, you know, isolation. And uh, because I was in a constant state of struggling with with this voice, you know, that was just screaming at me, you have no training, you have no, you know, you're, you're an imposter, you can't oh, do this, gosh. this is, and this tiny little voice on the other side going, maybe you're wrong, maybe you're wrong, maybe you're wrong, maybe you're wrong, mm -hmm. you know, and just trying to give that um, quiet, <laughs> the mean, loud voice, and, and trust the little, you know, voice that, that believed, and, but it was hard, I mean, it was emotionally extraordinarily hard um, and were you working with your beloved therapist during the writing of this book or had she already died she'd already died oh my goodness it was were you so hearing hard. her were you hearing her voice as you were writing you know i can't say that i was um i did experience an enormous amount of grief because the book sold the end of June, and um, so I was really happy that she was able to know all of that, you know, because it went to auction, and it was kind of dramatic the way mm -hmm. it sold, and that ah. was all really great, and, and, um, your, and then, your success and that celebration mm -hmm. of, look what I did. And she always so you know, believed in mm. me. And so, and then I immediately went on a six week driving trip that a lot of the, um, you know, the stuff in Taos and Santa Fe and Sedona and uh, a lot of that stuff was written on that trip. And then when I got back, my first session with her, well, I guess my first session, I, she just wanted to hear about the trip and how the writing was going. But then the second week when I went back, she told me that while I was gone, she had been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. She had had polio as a child. And um, apparently there are a lot of terrible health uh, ramifications as you age. So she was elderly. She was almost 80. But man, that woman had never lost a brain cell. And she was, I mean, her body was very racked from, you know, a lifetime of, you know, disability from the polio and, and, and other things because of that. But her mind was sharp and her mm. energy, I'd never seen anything like the way that woman could be present with you in this soft and, uh, you know, open and embracing energy. But boy, when she pulled up, you know, something else, I, her, she, it was like she physically expanded into the room. I, I, I really described it at the time and ever since as my only real experience in person of being, witnessing the pulling up of goddess energy. Oh, wow. She was so powerful when she pulled that in and she just had mastery of it. She, she, yeah, it was crazy. She was brilliant and amazing. Um, but I, and maybe, maybe I tapped into her energy. Maybe she was supporting me. You know, I, I certainly want to believe that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not one of those people that, that can sort of feel, um, you know, the presence of, of energetic beings on the other side of the veil. That's never been something that, um, that I can do. Although, you know, I'm not saying it's not happening because, <laughs> you know, right. I have, I've experienced enough things now yes. to know that there, there are something's going on. There's, there are things we do not understand and cannot explain. And that doesn't mean they're not true. Mm -hmm. So, but yes, Barbara, mm -hmm. she was, she is, she was and is just one of the most important people in my life. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, my And goodness. isn't it lovely that you get to be that for people? Oh, I hope so. I I'm really sure you do. So. <laughs> 
I mean, I love the fact that you're just taking, you know, your gifts and 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 expanding your reach by doing mm-hmm. this kind of thing. You know. Oh, it's been uh, the experience of it for me and I say this when I talk about podcasting and interviewing has been nothing short of miraculous the people mm-hmm. that I've been able to speak with and learn from and and know it has helped me become more optimistic and um a happier person I think because I get to spend time with people who are doing really beautiful things that are helping other people and so it just it's so reinforcing that you know there's good that exists even in a world right now that is so broken Mm -hmm. and in such pain in so many ways yes indeed yeah I think that one of the really beautiful things about being you know our age is that if if we choose this because obviously some people you know pull in but but if we are willing to really expand ourselves into this uh, stage of life and bring everything every experience that we've had every every you know joy and heartbreak to the experience of being this age and stage in life that our impact is is so much more um, it has so much more potential because because we are bringing so much more you know we live in a society that tends to sort of worship youth that God would you be 20 again Mm, not in a million years no No, way (laughs) so yeah. Margaret Mead had a great quote. She said, there's nothing like the zest of a postmenopausal woman. <laughs> I love I that. Love that. <laughs> so, Rebecca, where can people learn more about you and uh, see your gorgeous gardening um, and, and, and uh, find out more about your book? Oh, thank you. Um, well, I have actually lots of places. Um, I have a website. It's RebeccaWynn.com. And um, that's R-E-B-E-C-C-A-W-I-N-N. And so there's lots on there. I have uh, quite a few social media um, venues. So... I have a I have over six hundred thousand followers on Oh my goodness <laughs> on one of my social media pages. Um but it's not under my name, it's under Whimsical Gardens. So it's okay. Facebook.com slash whimsical gardens. And um that is a place where I post images beautiful images of nature. Um and then a lot of times I will write things that are kind of like the book, you know, like my worldview through this image. Um, I don't always do that, but but sometimes I do. Sometimes I'll do sort of a horticultural lesson. Sometimes I do a just a hay in this cool. And when I travel, like when I went on that transformational trip to New Zealand um, and when I went on that six-week driving trip by myself through the southwest i was posting horticulture from where i was so i have this beautiful visual diary of new zealand and other travel so so facebook.com slash whimsical gardens um and then there's also facebook.com slash when rebecca so last name first name and that is my author page that is brand new um just a month or a couple of months old but i do not post a lot about my book on my whimsical gardens page i mean i do post some but um but more information about my book and speaking and you know, if we ever get to travel again, Mm. um, we'll be there. And then I'm also on Instagram, um, sort of both of those incarnations. So it's Mm. whimsical.gardens on Instagram for nature. And then it's um, RebeccaWynn.writer. I'm claiming being a writer (laughs) on Instagram. (laughs) 
I would say it's high time for you to claim being a writer. Rebecca Wynn, author of 100 Daffodils. It has been an honor and a delight to speak with you. And thank Thank you for sharing your experience with us. It has really been, it it was such a lovely book. And I was so sad when it was over and so excited to be able to have a conversation with you today. And I know that your your journey of transformation will have a, a an effect on people who are suffering and struggling and stuck and afraid and and that they can see that there's another side that they can get Thank through you. well i certainly hope so i'm that is it, it would be a great gift to me to be a gift to them Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And too much stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used up. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.